Hey, this is John. Let's Talk Native is now on Patreon. You can support the show by going to patreon.com slash letstalknative. We will be producing exclusive content for our Patreon supporters. Thanks for checking us out. Let's Talk Native is produced at the LTN Studios on the Cataraugus territory of the Seneca Nation. We break all the rules for Native media by peeling back the layers of assimilation and indoctrination. No prayers, no buffalo speeches, and no spirituality shows. While this podcast does not provide a path to spiritual enlightenment, we do take a tough look at history, oppression, and our survival. We highlight the voices of Native activists, writers, poets, artists, thinkers, and musicians who are fighting for the rights of Indigenous people all over Turtle Island. We may step on a few toes through our examination of culture, art, politics, history, and identity. But the real goal here is to bring our people together by breaking down what separates us. In this moment of historical change and social justice, our voices matter now more than ever before. So, welcome to Let's Talk Native with John Kane. Say hello and welcome to Let's Talk Native. I am John Kane, and uh, look, I want to talk about some things today. That you know, part of the thing is it's, it's difficult to speak about specific Native issues this time of year in this time of the U.S. election cycle. And, and there's just so many things going on. The COVID numbers are going to the roof. I last, you know, last show or last week, I, I mentioned by, you know, by this week, you, you would see on Friday or Saturday, uh, 90,000 uh, cases uh, on, on a single day. And that happened on a Thursday. So everything is actually going even faster than, than I predicted as far as COVID-19. The likelihood is the, by next week, um, you will see 100,000 cases in a single day. I was, you know, I was always pinging it on a, on a Friday because Fridays have always been the days that the reporting gets the highest. But uh, like I said, th this past week, it was on Thursday that they, th that 90,000 was hit. So it is getting really bad. It's going to get real worse. Uh, you know, Jake and I kicking around. We talk about how the way March was the longest month ever. Well, November is going to be like that. And, and it may not just be November. It may be into, uh, into December and it, it is going to, it's crazy. And this goes beyond native issues. We are impacted by it. In fact, I, you know, I'm going to try to get Janine Yazzie back on the program because the, the Navajo numbers are really going through the roof. Um, but I suspect all territories are going through some of the same thing. And, and it's a little harder to wrap our heads around it because the reporting isn't done specifically on any other native territory, the way it's being done in Navajo territory. But I think that's emblematic of what we're all experiencing. But, but again, these numbers are, are terrible and they're going to get worse. I think anybody who's get, gotten comfortable with the level of, um, I know, activity, you know, you know the, even socializing, because too many people are just ignoring what, what's going on. Look, I, you, if you go into any place of business, I guarantee you're going to find at least a handful of the employees who, who may be wearing a mask, but it's, it's down below their nose, which is completely pointless. Um, people aren't being as careful as they were 
six months ago. And it's, it's going to show itself. And on all of these spikes in the daily number of cases that are being confirmed will turn into spikes in, uh, in, in deaths. Usually it's eight to 10 days after somebody's infected. So what we're seeing today in the increased number of cases by next week, it's, it's going to start to show up in, in the daily death rate. I mean, as it is, it's, it's pretty consistently turned into a thousand a day, but they're saying that that could be 2000 a day, or maybe even get up to 3000 a day by, you know, mid to late November and, and into, into December. So it is, it, 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 again, with this looming and, and pandemic that we're in the, in the middle of, and, and I don't think we're at the end of it, even close to the end of it. It sometimes gets hard to talk about anything else. And, you know, but, you know, so I, I wanted to at least spend some time talking about that. And of course, the other thing is next week is, uh, is the United States election. And, and it's going to, um, it, it, it dominates everything that's on the news, everything on television. Hell, even, even you know, a lot of the, the cable uh, movie channels have either series or specials. And, you know, all of the late night hosts, everything that you, you may have been used to watching is all about you know, the election and, and these candidates that are running. So I'm going to remind people that it's not our election. No matter how much they tried to suck us into this thing with, you know, get out the native vote and, you know, and either pandering to us or in some places, you know, the, this idea of um, suppressing the vote, it's not our election. And in fact, I, you know, I was a guest on a, on a radio show last week and I was asked about this idea of voter suppression. And I have a completely different view on this thing because I think that neither the pandering to native people for the vote nor, or the, suppre the suppression of a vote is about us. It's not about trying to get more native votes or less native votes because frankly, our numbers are so small and I've talked about this before. Our numbers are so small that anybody who would invest money, I mean, in terms of you know, time, you know, campaign dollars, or even any kind of policy or strategy, anybody who would invest energy into our vote, I mean, that's just a poor investment. There, there are bigger targets for trying to get out, the, get out the vote or stop the vote. And to waste any time trying to suppress or encourage our vote just seems like a waste of, of any, any political capital one way or the other. But here's what I want to say about it. I think the idea of pandering to the native vote is not about us. It's about, about, about the main body of politics, right? It's, it's, it's about white people. Hold up a native person and say, oh, look, I'm, I'm going to give some special treatment to native people. I'm going to do a photo op with them. I'm going to, you know, pass new legislation if I'm elected or whatever else. That's about trying to endear yourself to the, to the progressive left. It's meaningless, but that's what it's about. So when they try to pander to us, it's really about pandering to their voter base. And the same thing that I will say on the right with suppressing native vote. They don't really care if they knock off a few native voters in, in North Dakota. We weren't going to change the, the outcome of the election anyway. But how does that play to their, to their white supremacy base? Well, it plays pretty well. So whether it's voter pandering or voter suppression, neither of those are about the native vote. It's about the base on the right and it's about the base on the left. And I know this isn't a widely held view on this issue, but if you really look at, if you do the math, it's, it should be obvious. 
<clears throat> that investing any time, energy, or capital into getting out the few native votes that will get out or the few or suppressing of the few, few native votes, there's there are bigger fish to fry for the right and for the left than us. And so I think that has been mischaracterized. So, and, and again, this kind of reaffirms again that this isn't our election. Even when we get sucked into it for photo ops or, you know, or whatever, it's not about us. It's about them. It's it's not our election. It's not our problem. It's it's and it's certainly not our solution. Now, I'm not saying the outcome of election doesn't present problems for us. I mean, but it presents it presents problems for us either way. I mean, we aren't catered to by the Democrats or the Republicans. And and to the extent that any of our issues either cross-sect or intersect with the issues of others that are not as marginalized as us, or even to the extent that they overlap, the solutions are not the same. <clears throat> because for the most part, the vast majority of Native people view themselves as, as distinct. And now I'm not, I'm not saying that, you know, that we don't get caught into the whole American citizenship or Canadian citizenship thing, but we aren't fighting necessarily for for Canadian rights. Look, the whole land back issue in uh, in in Six Nations, or or the the fighting over pipelines in Wet'suwet'en, or or fishing in, in Mi'kmaq territory, or any of our opposition to pipelines uh, on this side of that imaginary line, we aren't fighting the same fight. And and when we get sucked into their court systems like that, somehow going to help. And and look, and even. I know we go through that process. Look, even the guys up in, in Six Nations are utilizing the Canadian court system as one of their multi-pronged strategies. And it ain't going well. I mean, let's face it. You, you, you get a judge that says, well, we're not even going to take your submissions because you're, you're already in contempt of my court. Well, yeah, we do. We hold your, your court in contempt, and that's our view of this whole thing. But just like the, the court systems aren't there for us, this election system isn't there for us. So I think... I, I I just want to remind people not to get too caught up in it. Look, you can watch the returns. I mean, it's entertaining television. I get it. And I watch it too. I mean, but I'm not invo emotionally invested in the outcome of this election. There's a part of me that says, you know what? If Trump gets elected, that's, <laughs> that's what Americans deserve. And if Biden gets elected, then, you know, look, you're going to get, you know, uh, that doddering old fool as well. <laughs> so, I mean, the, the election is not ours. Those are not our candidates. Neither one of those candidates is going to do anything for us directly. But I will say we are going to have to, to figure out how we deal with the outcomes of the election. And I don't mean immediate out outcomes. I mean I mean long term stuff. But because they are they are not going to pursue solutions e by either from the right or the left that accommodate us. We are we are still going to have to fight for everything that we've always fought for. So anybody who's like holding out hope that that an election is going to change anything, look, this is about electing, you know, th the next team of oppressors that that we are going to face. And it doesn't matter if we participate or not, because it, it's still it's still an outcome that does not that is not geared towards us.
So I say that because, look, I realize we're, we're still a few days away and, you know, and we have one more show before the election, which will be a special broadcast, by the way. We're not going to do a, a Tuesday show. I'm going to tell you that right now because it, that Tuesday is going to be a crazy day. So we're, we'll, do a, we'll do a Monday show. But um, and, and, and I'll talk more about issues related to what will happen post-election. But right now, I'm just saying today, today we have to really kind of own the situations that we face and we've got to come up with our solutions and and we certainly should not be hanging any hope that that an, uh, that a u.s election or, or 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 a court system u.s or canadian is going to solve it like even even the, the battles that are going on in six nations again even if the court lists an injunction or whatever else that doesn't solve the problem we we are we still represent a significant impediment to the goals and strategies of Canada and the United States. We are not um, candidates for a piece of the American dream or whether that American dream is associated with the U.S. or with Canada. No, we aren't. We aren't in the food line for that. We aren't, you know, that's, that's it, it's not our game. What, the thing is that we have to realize is that Whatever is being pursued by the U.S. and Canada, we have to figure out what our strategy is to, to make sure that their pursuit of their happiness, which is really dollars, doesn't negatively impact our lives. And I know it's tough because it, it pretty much always does. But I think this is the, the, thing, the, the thing that we have to understand is that we've got to draw the distinction between us and them. And I'm not saying that it's an us and them you know, battle for, uh, for, you know, mortal, mortal combat, I guess, um, it can get to that. But if we do employ what we basically have been known for, which is our own diplomatic skills, then, then we can, we can begin to, to pursue our solutions to the problems caused by them. We can't expect them to offer solutions to the problems that they're causing. I mean, it's just, it's just not the way the system has ever worked. And to the extent that they will placate us, and this is another thing that, that I feel very strongly about. I, and I hear people talk about treaties all the time. I literally saw somebody post on, and, and it might have even been on the, the land back um, group page, that we need to return to calling, our, uh, return to calling ourselves Indians. And I'm thinking, yeah, what? And they said, yeah, because Indians are the word they used in our treaties. All right. <laughs> I'm sorry. For one thing, they aren't our treaties. We never asked for a treaty from the U.S. or Canada. They offered these, these tools of placation, this idea that they were going to you know, pay lip service to us to, to buy time so they could pursue their strategy of defrauding us in the long term. There is not a single treaty in the, that the U.S. or Canada ever entered into or negotiated with us that they ever intended to follow. So when I hear people say, well, we've got to, you know, we've got to call ourselves Indians because if we call ourselves something else, then we, we've essentially removed ourselves uh, as a party to our own treaties. They aren't our treaties. They were, it's their words. It's in their language. It was their strategy. 
And look, they were always trying to dupe us. This whole thing is about deceit. Every treaty, every policy. You know, look, when they, when they were trying to remove us from our territories, they told us that, that we were going to have these great places to move to. Of course that was a lie. Of course it was bullshit. They weren't going to move us to some place that, that, that was valuable, that was fertile. And to the extent that they did, they did it because they were moving us to some to land that was already, it was all native land anyway. They were just trying to make us fight each other in those circumstances. I mean, the, the whole thing is just more fraud heaped upon more fraud. And so when, when I hear our own people start trying to put major emphasis on trees, look, there are some native people who, who identify themselves as treaty, we're a, we're a treaty people. What the hell does that even mean? They don't, they don't define us. Uh, again, just like I'm saying that this election isn't ours, those documents aren't ours. At best, they created documents where they promised to recognize what already was. They didn't give us any. There's no granting. When I, when I saw somebody list that uh, the Mi'kmaq were granted a right to fish, no, they weren't. They, they weren't granted a right to do anything. What was recognized by treaty and then ultimately by their courts and their constitution was not that they had a treaty right, but that the, that the treaties that were entered into recognized the right that they already had. This isn't just semantics, folks. This is important. We can't get sucked in to allowing the U.S. or Canada to constantly identify and define us. We have to do it ourselves. We get sucked into the blood quantum game. We get sucked into uh, into their um, you know their male dominance. You know, look, we we already kind of got sucked into the whole thing that that our that the children carry the the father's last name even though most of us operate in a matrilineal system so we've already upset that so, to some extent and, and it gets confusing it gets confusing about you know following which which clan you're from you know your 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 mother's line gets totally disrupted because in the european model it was all about um male lineage not not matrilineage so <laughs> We have to, and I'm not saying we should bail on all our last names, so don't get upset about that. But I'm not suggesting that. But we can't continue down that same path. We have to draw the distinction. So again, when I hear people talk about us being treaty Indians and, and that we can't call ourselves anything but what was already entered into into a treaty, oh, man. I mean, that's giving even more power to the words that were written on a paper that were that were shoved down our throats, oftentimes with a little bit of gin and rum to go, go along with it, at a time where our understanding of their words was diminished. I mean, we were not the, the, the great masters of the English language when all of these so-called treaties were, were negotiated. And... You know, and then they would also, there was a time where they wouldn't let us see the written words. They would say, well, no, the, the written words are ours. You just put what we said in a wampum belt and that's yours, which again is crazy. I mean, if we don't know the words they wrote down, 
the words that they're saying, how do we represent that in a wampum belt? And of course, then they even they even screw up that because then they start they start commissioning some of our wampum belt makers to make a belt that that captures their intent and their character. The George Washington belt that's not even one of ours. And I, and I've talked about this before. It is it is complete fraud. And when I hear the Oran Alliances or the Sid Hills say, "Well, the, yeah, the George Washington belt is the is our belt for the Canadago Treaty." Oh, for crying out loud. How do we get this screwed up? How do we get into a place where the so-called leaders, the ones who are recognized even by our own people, the ones that we prop up as iconic individuals, can get history so freaking wrong. So, look, we got to nip some of this stuff in the bud. So, so let's let's make sure that we do not get sucked into this idea that we have to identify ourselves with the labels that they imposed on us what 100 years ago, 200 years ago? Because we can't I mean I'm not crazy about First Nations or Native Americans or any of these other labels either. I as far as I'm concerned, we need to spell out who we are, use our language. And whether we use broad language like Ongweunwe uh, or whether we use, you know, specific, you know, words like Ganyagahaga or Onondawaga or, or Haudenosaunee, whatever we're going to use, let us be the ones that define those words. And we have to stop. We have to stop letting them put us in their box. I mean, it, it's, it's absurd that any native person is still embracing this word Indian. And, and, and so many are. I mean, and I know, I know that some of the old timers, uh, you know, they have a hard time shedding some of that old language, even though their first language is oftentimes our, our own language. But, but the, the command of the English language is still sometimes uh, overwhelmed by, by some of these, these words that were imposed upon us. Look, I got to remind people, our identities have been manipulated so badly that our own people, even the so-called chiefs, were donning Plains Indian headdresses in the 40s and the 50s and later. And why was that? Well, because we were getting our own cues about what we were supposed to look like from Hollywood, from literature. You know, and, and so... This, this whole idea that we have allowed ourselves to be manipulated in this way. And I'll tell you, the last, this last couple of generations were the ones who brought more back. Now we know what a gustoa is. Now we know what, you know, what the symbolism is of, of, of some of the things that were really, truly part of our culture. Not this idea of, of grabbing some Hollywood image to call it our own. And, and that goes with the, with the language, with the words that we use. With the way that we carry ourselves, <clears throat> the way that we, look, we are as guilty as anybody else in, in grabbing onto this male dominant culture. I mean, how many times have you heard people refer to, oh yeah, we, we have a chief's council. We operate under a chief system. Well, we never did before. If we do now, that's just as much assimilation as an elected system because we didn't have a chief system. We had a clan system where the women were equal participants. No, they weren't the lords and masters either. Even a clan mother had, had responsibilities. But they didn't have this ultimate authority. We have lost so much from who we were. 
And and I got to tell you, we lost a lot of this stuff while we still had the language. Well, look, when I look at at, at that uh, that Haldeman track, <laughs> you know, where Six Nations Reserve is that tiny little spot, you know, it, it, on that on that entire Haldeman track, most of that land was lost while our language was still intact. So, I mean, and, and I'm not saying it to condemn the language. What I'm I, the reason I'm bringing this up is because I oftentimes hear people say, especially. The, the ones who want to say they're so uber traditional, well, the problem is we've, we, we've lost our language. Well, you know what? We were losing land. We were losing culture. We were losing identity long before our, 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 our language was lost. In my family, my father, uh, his first language was Mohawk. Doña Geha. So the, when, I, when I hear people say, you know, the problem is we lost the language, the language was one of the things we held on to, on to the longest. We lost way more land than we lost language during most of that uh, period of time. So our language didn't save us. We saved it. And in fact, it was something that we could hold on to even, it, it was easier to hold on to our language than our land. And it was easier to hold on to our language than, than our culture. Look, I've seen Bibles printed in Mohawk. Yeah. yeah. I mean, him, my aunt was a devout Catholic. She sang for the Pope. I don't know which one, but one of them anyway. I mean, this is how much, and, and she, what she sang were, were hymns that were done in Mohawk. So when, when I hear people talk about the, the problem, you know, the, the reason we've lost so much is because of uh, uh, loss of language. No, they got into our head while our language was still firmly on our lips, was still on our tongue. So, so I, I think we have to stop making excuses and we have to own some of that history and, and including some of the history where our own identities were, were challenged and, and, and disrupted because we still, look, we still have the language. And in that language, if we take the time, we can learn more about the past because that language is a key to the past. More so, look, the land and nature teaches us how to live today if we, if we choose to, you know, or we can be unnatural, you know, capitalists like, you know, like white people are. But nature is a guide, a continuous guide. But the only thing that gives us an eye or an, an, a, a view of the past is our language. Because even, even ceremony and, um, you know, some of the, the, the cultural stuff associated with Longhouse, if we don't dissect the language as we're doing that, we are going to um, misinterpret it. And, I, and I've talked about that a lot on the show. Um, there's so many things that, in, uh, that we say today that have already been altered by, by, by Christian mentality. You know, the emphasis on creator over, over creation. The idea that, you know, that, that we, we've embraced this notion of heaven and, and, the, and the, the evil versus, you know, good construct that is tied to, to so much a part of Christianity. We've adopted that, and, and we've, we've actually incorporated it into our stories and, and in, into, our, into our culture. We, and we have, a t we have a hard time backing it back out. And we can do that, especially if the folks who really understand language help. 
because it's not just enough to be able to say past assault in, uh, in, in Seneca or Mohawk. We better understand a little bit more than, at, at a deeper level. By all means, use whatever you've got. But we, gotta, we have to take more time and put more effort into understanding it deeper. All right, hey, we'll take a break and uh, we'll come back with a little bit more. Again, I want to talk more about what we need to do, not what they need to do. And we'll do more of that when we come back. This is John Kane. This is Let's Talk Native. Thanks for coming back. This is John Kane. This is Let's Talk Native. Let me give a shout out to my sponsors. I want to thank Ross and Holly John and the RJE family of businesses, Eric White and ERW Enterprises, and the folks at Grand River Enterprises. And of course, I want to remind people that we are on Patreon. So if you go to patreon.com slash let's talk native, you can see that we're there and you can support the program through Patreon. Um, there are lots of ways you can support us, but this is one that we're kind of excited about. We're, we're actually creating some um, exclusive content for our uh, Patreon members. Uh, so again, check us out and, uh, you know, by all means, sign up. You don't have to do much. You know, uh, we're, you know, if we get more, look, we've got a lot of people who check out our videos. We've got a lot of members of our group page on Facebook and that kind of stuff. I realize that not everybody's active, but you know, we get, you know, even a, a fraction of some of those people joining us on Patreon and it makes a big difference and it enables us to do more of what we're trying to do here and, and, and produce more content. Um, and it is tough because look, we don't have a research staff behind us. You know, it's, it's basically just us trying to do something here and, and it's, um, uh, it's, it's a challenge. So, uh, we, we watch the news, we follow the trends and we try to deliver uh, a native perspective to the issues that affect us all. And, and specifically, we try to follow what's happening on Native territory. So, um, again, um, check us out on Patreon. Uh, support the program. I know some of you occasionally drop a check in the mail or, or do whatever else, and that always helps. So, uh, again, I want to I thank you for that. Um, look, as, as I said, we are going to have to figure out how we fend for ourselves, regardless of what happens, you know, you know next week. You know, uh, we have our own challenges in, in front of us. And, and I've talked oftentimes about identity. I've talked about us trying to you know, consolidate some of the ideas associated with, with our identity so we aren't scattered all over the place. One of the things you know, I, I mentioned before was this, this idea of unity sounds great, you know, and, and the idea of us standing in solidarity. But, but in our culture, the idea of unity is really captured in, this, in the idea of bringing our minds together, you know, our minds as one, creating, putting our minds together as one. That's where the unity comes. So it comes from the thought. So if we can't agree on basic things like what the hell to call ourselves, it makes it a little tough to stand arm, arm in arm. So, and I'm not saying we can't do that. And I'm not saying we shouldn't move to, to stand in solidarity, especially as any of our territories are under, under, under attack. But I think we, in, in the, the, the larger goal, the bigger goal has to be for us to get our minds back together. And, and again, every once in a while, somebody will throw some crazy idea out there like, oh, yeah, we got to go back to calling ourselves Indians because that's what they called us in treaties. 
Jeez, I mean, it, it just it, it it does. It just absolutely makes me shake my head sometimes because these are the things that can be disruptive. We we grab on, we embrace things. Like I, one of the the things that I talked about in, on previous shows is somebody grabbed onto this idea that the word Indian came from Columbus um, saying in Spanish or Italian or something that, that we were like gods, that it was in Dios, which that's, that doesn't even translate properly, but, and they're trying to say, well, India didn't exist as a country back in 1492. So they couldn't have called us Indians based on that. And of course, all of that is wrong. I mean, India may not have been a country, but the idea of the Indies, you know, the, the islands in, in the South, you know, in Southeast Asia and, and the area that Europeans were referring to India, not as a country, but as an area, but it was, it was just past the, the Indus river. So, I mean, it, Again, we grab onto these things and, and then we embrace them. The next thing you know, we're, we're, we're trying to you know, proudly carry this name Indians because it, we, we just tried to say it means something else. No, it was, it was a misnomer from the start. And, and we didn't call ourselves that. Even if you're going to buy into this, into this bullshit that Columbus thought we were, we had the bodies of gods or something, which, which is a, kind of absurd. Why would that label stick? And, and yet here we are today we're, and we're still going to debate because it's the Bureau of Indian Affairs. It's because Indians is mentioned three times in the, in the U.S. Constitution. It's the Indian Act in, Can in, in Canada. Look, I don't care how many times they've used that word. It doesn't have to apply to us. We have to bring our minds together and we have to understand. We, we've, first off, we've got to identify each other. I mean, everybody talks about recognition federal recognition, you know, the Canada trying to uh, manipulate, you know, who we are by going, you know, they want to say, well, we're, we don't, we don't have to recognize matrilineal stuff in Canada, you know, so we can, we can take a woman off of, uh, you know, off of any trust responsibility that Canada has towards native people. If she marries out, I mean, we, we, we actually, we conform to these, to these imposed ideas, but this is where it comes down to. We've got to eliminate this notion that blood, blood quantum, whatever the hell that is, is determines somebody's nativeness. I mean, I understand that living in a native community is something that we have to put more of a priority to. And I'm not saying that if you leave the territory that you have to necessarily, you know, abandon your, you know, your identity. But I mean, because I would argue that these lines drawn in the sand by, you know, again, by white people doesn't determine where our territories stop and start. But, but to be participants in who we are as a people, that's something we have to encourage. And if somebody, if you haven't heard from somebody in 30 years because they left and never came back, I'm sorry, they are not part of your community anymore. And that was a choice that they made. And, and I'm, this isn't about banishment. This isn't about taking somebody off the rolls or dis, you know, uh, disenrollment or any of that. I mean, it, it's, it's about just seeing what somebody's activity is. But we also have to understand that in order for us to be successful as individuals, if we pursue that success away from our people, then we aren't doing anything for our people. We're just being, being uh, selfish. We're, we're looking for our own interest alone. We are pursuing 
our happiness at uh, wherever and, and abandoning our own people. And look, that's what they did, right? That, that's, how, that's how Europeans came here. They, they left not only their, their homelands, but they left their families. All of those, that immigrant population that, that you know, comes to our, came to our shores from Europe, Think about how much of their family left behind. They didn't. They weren't even like like uh, you know the, the people in Asia who who create the, this, this solid pipeline of bringing more and more and more of their relatives. Look, they they abandoned their families. I mean, and that's what they did. They abandoned their the, the like their language. I mean, how many Italian Americans still speak Italian? I mean, honestly. I mean, and, and then we get into this, this, this debate over um, Latina and La, La, uh, Latinx and uh, Hispanics. And, and we, we seem to lose our minds over the idea that there, that there are brown people who speak Spanish. Like somehow they have, were, were, you know, assimilated into, into Spanish culture. Well, what the hell language are we speaking? It's not exactly, you know, Doña uh, Geha. I mean, you know, we we are we've all been affected by this, but we have a hard time bringing ourselves together. And look, language can be a barrier. Barrier, English, Spanish, and even even as we, you know, we have a resurgence in our own languages, we still have to um, accommodate the fact that our languages vary. So whether we're we're translating from from again Mohawk to English, you know, or or Mohawk to Ojibwe or, or whatever else, we still have to we have to concentrate on our abilities to communicate. So when you understand where that so much of our original languages are are about creating images, and and much of it is metaphor, right? I mean, much of what we when we when we describe something. You know, and that's why, for instance, a simple thing, the words that we use for colors oftentimes you know, are, are so close to a, the, a specific thing in nature. Like the color, the word for green is almost the same as the word for grass. The word, the word that we have for red is almost the same as the word that we have for blood. The word that we have for yellow is almost the same as the word that we have for an egg yolk. I mean, so it's because we use the the actual physical object to describe other things. I mean, so if we're going to talk about the colors of a sunset, every one of those colors that we describe, we're going to say where in nature that thing that that color comes from. So it's all metaphor. So as we delve into English or Spanish or you know or any of our indigenous languages, we've got to what we've got to do is have some cooperations and, and some collaboration on the metaphors. This isn't, isn't, this isn't even tough stuff. Uh, most linguists would have no problem with this, but again, we've lost our ability to communicate properly. <laughs> and I gotta tell you, the digital age isn't helping much either. You know, now we're using, you know, we're making up words for, for, for texting and, you know, you know, we're, we're, we're really butchering the language in terms of, I mean, even the English language and, and, and grammar and punctuation and all that stuff. So it, it, it's, if anything, it becomes more of a challenge. We've got to get back to understanding how, you know, where the metaphors are, why, how the description 
the, the descriptive parts of our language and how they, uh, you know, how they uh, collaborate with, with other languages. That's where it's, where it's going to bind us together. You know, I know this is a little bit of a departure, but, but you know, we, we oftentimes hear so much of an emphasis on language. And, and as I said, when I hear people say the problem, you know, the, the problems that we have with the loss of, of culture and language or lands and stuff like that, that it's all tied to language. I, again, you, you, if we do the, if we want to be accurate about history, we're going to find out that some of the things that came into our territories came in when our language was, intact, was, it, was fully intact. Everything from removing us, religion came in, residential schools, you know, changing our, our systems of governance from, from traditional forms of governance that were tied to, uh, you know, our, again, our, our collaboration with nature and clans and that kind of stuff. The idea that we adopted these, these written constitutions. Half the people, when the Seneca Nation adopted a written constitution, most of the people in Seneca, Seneca Nation still spoke Seneca. It wasn't drafted in Seneca. It was drafted in English. Why? Because white people did it. So, I mean, I mean, when I, when I think about these things, you know, I, th I think it's really, really important that, that people, people understand that to understand who we are, we, we not only need to speak the language, which, which I think is important, but we better, we better delve into it more, more thoroughly than that. Like, like I said, I, I remember listening, sitting in with a session where they're talking about, well, how do you say the times of the day? And, the, and this long, drawn-out word, especially for, in Seneca, was not about quarter after three or 315. It wasn't about saying the numbers in Seneca. It was about counting the tolls of a church bell. So, again, we've incorporated this idea of a, of a church bell or a town bell or whatever um, into our language so much that that's how we would even, we were teaching our children. This is how you say, you know, um, you know, three o'clock. And it's like, no, that's already been back. That's already bastardized our language by incorporating this idea of a tolling bell. Again, I don't, I'm not criticizing. If you still use that, then, then that's fine. But, but we should understand why. I mean, there's, I've listened to people talk about ceremonies that involve ringing a bell or shooting a gun. Well, if we're firing off a, a firearm, then that's obviously not our ancient traditional practice. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with, with updating and, 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 and modernizing some aspects of our lives. I mean, look, I, I think it's fine to, to dig a grave with a, with a, with a little um, excavator. I think it's fine to use, use machinery to do that. I don't have a problem, you know, you know getting out a shovel too. But when I hear people say, well, you know, it, according to our tradition, it's got to be dug, the, the grave has to be hand dug. I said, wait a second, we didn't even have shovels before white people came here. So, I mean, again, you know, we, we almost reinvent or fabricate this idea of what is tradition. And, and most of what we're calling tradition today is only what we've adopted as tradition since white people showed up. Not, I'm not trying to put anything down here. I'm just trying to say, speak some truth about this stuff, right? So I think that this, that's what's important. Look, you know, I'm, I'm one that, you know, look, I wear, a, you know, 
the unity crest or the warrior crest on my, on my shirt or on my hat or, or a flag. Flags weren't our things either. So that's one of those things that we incorporated. And, and again, I, I remember sitting with Louis Hall and he said, we have to have a way to demonstrate and display um, who we are in, in the world around us. And his whole idea of creating the flag, the unity flag, was something that all Native people could identify with. And look, it's worked. There's no image that is more iconic or a more iconic symbol of unity and resistance than, than what people called the, the, the warrior flag, which originally was created as the unity flag. So we have created some things you know, that, uh, you know, that had changed over time. You know, uh, again, we, we wear jeans and t-shirts and hats, ball caps, even though we don't play ball necessarily. So, I mean, that, but when I hear people say, well, that's assimilation. No, it isn't. Assimilation is, is not just about, you know, what we do that other people do, you know, Assimilation is about identity and it's about who you are and how you define yourself. So, you know, when I hear people say stuff like that, well, we're not really sovereign because we, we, we get federal funding. Well, again, I always go to the, go to the same example. Nobody argues whether Israel is a sovereign state and yet billions of dollars go to Israel, flow from, Israel, from the United States to Israel. Not just from the government, but billions of dollars come, come from Jewish Americans who, you know, who send money to Israel. So when I hear people say, make a, a, you know, a statement like that, look, there is a debt that is owed. And, and that debt is based not only on treaties, but on the the transactions that those treaties were supposed to represent. There is an obligation that the United States has, and there's a debt that will never be, be fully paid by the United States and Canada to, to Native people. They've built countries on our land, for crying out loud. So, of course, there's a debt to be paid. Now, will that debt ever get paid? You know, probably not. But when we talk about reparations, and, and I, and I, and I, you know, one of my quotes is that I'm more concerned about, or I'm less concerned about reparations from the past than I am about preparations for the future. And, and I agree with that. I, I mean that when I say that. Of course I agree with that. I said it. <laughs> but I mean that when I say that. And I'm not saying that there aren't reparations due. You know, whether it's, you know, comes out of some Truth and Reconciliation Commission associated with residential schools or missing and murdered indigenous women, which oftentimes are going to fall way short. Or whether it's an, it's an honest assessment. I mean, look, we know that the court systems are never going to deliver justice to our people. We've seen that in land transactions. The, the liberal darling of the Supreme Court, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, made one of the most racist and, and right-wing rulings and opinions written in uh, in city of Cheryl versus Oneida where she used all of the the same talking points that Scalia and others on, on the right side would use I mean things like oh you waited too long latches you were, you were too quiet for too long acquiescence it's impossible the doctrine of impossibility you can't ever assert jurisdictional control over lands that you that that you once 
owned or, or occupied, but but lost control of. And of course, none of that stuff is true. And it's and it's all BS that they made up so they could justify their existence. They could justify our diminished existence. And again, all of it is geared towards towards the one objective. What what Thomas Jefferson called the final final consolidation. To make us no longer exist as a distinct people. That is the definition of genocide. The scariest part and the most worrisome part is when we play a role in that. When we become the agents of our own oppression. When we volunteer ourselves to be assimilated. When I, when I see somebody post on, on social media that we can no longer claim to be um, our own people, our own distinct people, because like it or not, they've turned us into U.S. citizens. I mean, oh, cripe. Don't you understand what you just said? And, and how much you, how complicit you have become in their racism? And that's what it is. I mean, when, when the idea that, that, that any of us would believe that we no longer have a choice in who we are is, is an absurd proposition. That we have to conform to words that they wrote on a paper? We have to call ourselves Indians again? I mean, it, it, it's, it's absurd that, that any of our people will go down that path. And, and they think they're being like legal scholars. <laughs> well, if we don't uh, you know, maintain that identification of who we are, then we are no longer entitled to be parties of our treaties. <laughs> Jeez, I mean, it, when, when I hear people say that, and, and look, if I offend somebody on, on social media because of what I'm saying here, then damn it, think about what the hell you're talking about, especially before you throw it out into the world and, and then get, you know, however many likes or approvals to your, to your bullshit comments. We have to chart our path forward. Regardless of what happens in a U.S. election or a Canadian election or a court ruling. Look, when, when I hear somebody say, like it or not, we're under U.S. jurisdiction. I know, because I personally have, have, have made this argument in my own legal proceedings, that, that our view is that we are not under state or federal jurisdiction. We make that argument and we look, do we win with that argument? No. And you know why? Because you, their courts can't deal with something that's outside of their jurisdiction. So they want to, to, to force this, our, us as round pegs through their square holes. That's what their idea is. That's what their strategy is. We, and this, this is part of the reason that, that, I, that I try and suggest that we avoid their court system at all costs anyway. And look, is there, is there a higher power? Is there, are there international courts? What about the UN? No, most of those things are inept. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't have a dialogue with the international community over some of these issues. Look, I applaud what, again, what my friends from the, the Kingdom of Hawaii are doing. The fact that they are using the international community to show the hypocrisy of the illegal occupation of, uh, of the Hawaiian Kingdom and the, and the, the toppling, of the, the coup the, you know, that, that they endured. But it, 
we aren't doing that. We aren't we aren't doing that enough. And and as much as as much as the Hawaiian kingdom when it became consolidated in in the way that it was did emulate you know the the British crown so to speak and of course it's even on their flag i mean even though it does that they are still trying to move towards what they were when they became the hawaiian kingdom we aren't we aren't trying to move back to what we were before we were inundated with with white people we're trying to find some sort of, you know, peaceful halfway in between, you know, we're, we're going to adopt some of these Christian concepts into our ceremonies and we're going to adopt, we're, we're using th their language and the, and we're trying to use their language in a way that hamstrings us even more because we're saying that if we're going to use your language, we have to use the original words you called us. So, you know, again, I think part of what you know, what I wanted to accomplish today with this program is to say, look, there's a lot of stuff that's out there that are affecting our lives, including American and Canadian politics and American and Canadian court systems. And while we have to be cognizant of what's going on there, including what's happening with a global pandemic, those, we shouldn't let any of those issues dictate who we are we still have choice and and again more than anything else and and there are some things that we don't we may not have all choices for but damn it what we call ourselves is one of them and what we are going to promote into the future is our choice we don't have to accept this notion that we ultimately have to be absorbed by a larger population around us. No, we don't have to accept that. So again, as we, as we, as we go forward, let's not get um, obsessed with what they do and what they are. Let's give some concentration onto what we do and who we are. I wanna thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. This is John Kane. This is Let's Talk Native. Yahweh.